This time of year, we hear about porch pirates stealing Amazon packages. But what about online fraud? One group says we need a national database. Today, we're talking fraud, protecting yourself and your wallet with thought leader Lynette Kofani-Cox. The money coach is here on today's Money with Friends. Welcome to Money with Friends from Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salcihi. I'm Lynette Kalfani-Cox, the money coach from Houston, Texas. This is the show where we open the news and dive right in with thought leaders from all walks of life like Lynette. Today, we are looking at the Washington Post and this piece about fraud. We'll not only read a little bit of it to you, like some podcasts, but we'll talk about why this is important to you and your wallet all live six days a week. Big thanks, by the way, to Rocket Dollar for supporting Money with Friends. Rocket Dollar account holders have the ability to invest their retirement savings in anything they choose through a Rocket Dollar self-directed IRA or solo 401k. You can make investments directly into real estate, private companies, peer-to-peer lending, crowdfunding, and everything else allowed by the IRS. Get a hundred bucks off your setup fee by heading to rocketdollar.com slash MWF. That's rocketdollar.com slash MWF. And before the holidays, big drum roll, Lynette Kofani Cox is back with us. And hopefully, Lynette, you and I have some internet uh, that works. I've applied some duct tape, and maybe we can get through this a little bit easier than we did yesterday. Hopefully. Fingers crossed, prayers up, and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Because it turns out my internet providers are a fraud. That's what we need the investigation <laughs> into about. We're going to talk about fraud today. Let's see which one of our uh, friends is going to help us kick off today's show. This is Bethany from The Money Millhouse. The Money Talking Party starts now. It's time for Money with Friends. All right. This piece uh, that Lynette brought to us uh, comes to us from the Washington Post. It is uh, written by Renee Merle. Uh, Lynette, it's all yours. Yes. So the title says SIGTARP calls for a national financial fraud registry. The federal government should establish a national financial fraud registry to make it easier for prosecutors and investors to identify repeat offenders according to a top law enforcement official. Quote, it is about public safety and deterrence. Financial institutions hold a place of trust. They are so interwoven in people's lives, said Christy Goldsmith Romero, Special Inspector General with the Troubled Asset Relief Program, which investigates crime at companies that received taxpayer bailouts during the global financial crisis. But, quote, there is no easy access to information when trying to determine where to investigate, end quote. The Office of the Special Inspector General for the Troubled Asset Relief Program, SIGTARP, launched its own database for financial crimes on Wednesday. The searchable database includes details of nearly 400 criminal convictions, guilty pleas, and fines secured by SIGTARP over the past decade. If you're a would-be fraudster, you don't want to end up on that list. It becomes a deterrent, she said. But that's not enough, Romero said. The details of financial crimes persecuted by other federal agencies, the Justice Department or states, can still be difficult to find even for prosecutors, she said. 
I worry that we're losing a chance to deter crime. It shouldn't be dependent on a news outlet picking it up. A Justice Department spokesperson did not return a call seeking comment. Since the 2008 financial crisis, SIGTARP has gained a reputation for aggressively prosecuting bank executives, but agency officials have become frustrated that it was easier to charge senior executives of mid- to small-sized banks for various misdeeds rather than the chief executives of large Wall Street firms. So we're not talking here about porch pirates. We're talking about uh, making some of the people responsible for these big uh, these big problems to to maybe maybe pay for it. That's right. And you know when the reason this piece jumped out at me is I had that kind of like why didn't they think of this before <laughs> when I first saw the story and I thought we absolutely need a national registry to track and document financial fraud for a whole host of reasons. And I'll tell you some of my thoughts about why. But mainly, um, they were taking this from the approach that, oh, it's going to help prosecutors um, to be able to detect this and then go after repeat offenders. But I also think for consumers and investors, that's the main thing. Um, They alluded to it when they said, you know, you shouldn't have to rely on a, a news story and that kind of thing. But We have registries for so many other things. Um, Unfortunately, most of it is tracking kind of negative stuff, you know, to, you know, missing kids and exploited people and um, murders that happen. You know, there's uh, federal uh, tracking of that kind of stuff and and, uh, different types of crime, et cetera. And at the end of the day, let's say for higher level crimes dealing with investments or, um, you know, people who have fiduciary responsibilities, as an investor, you have to you can go to like through FINRA's database and, you know, stuff like that. But how cool will it be to just know if there was insurance fraud or um, loan related fraud or um, stock market or bonds, uh, you know, uh, wrongdoing in the fixed income category? We need to know the principal players who are involved and who would have gotten their hand slapped, fined, um kicked out of certain industries, et cetera, because A, criminals move, you know, they can move from one state to another. Thus the federal database would have, would be helpful. And then B, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, crooks are crooks and they may change their um, MO or their um, main area that they're kind of dabbling in. So maybe they were playing around in the stock market and they said, okay, here, I'm gonna go over to bonds or I'm gonna go over to the real estate area or insurance. And so I would hope that a database like this would actually become more comprehensive, more robust, um, and would track offenders of different kinds. You said not the, the, you know, people who are stealing stuff off the porch, maybe they wouldn't get down to that level, right? but certainly, um, you know, when they bust these rackets for identity theft online and, you know, that kind of stuff, there's a, there's just so much fraud out there. And this would be one way to help, uh, stop some of that in their, in its tracks. Or deter it at the very least. It seems like you know this. Mister uh, 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 Romero says that that this isn't enough, and and my thought process, my first thought process is 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 another one going to do the job, or is it is it taking what we already have and making sure uh, putting a little more marketing behind it? In other words, making it so that people know it's there. Um, um, I think you probably have to do both, you know. But really, there's nothing at the national level that's sort of uh, comprehensive in scope. 
And that's where I think that this type of database could actually come in really handy. Not just telling me one thing like, okay, was it something having to do with investments or something having to do with, you know, poor uh, uh, fraudulent activity around loans of some kind, whether that's in the mortgage market or, you know, different aspects of credit and lending. Um, They'll have to establish a threshold and maybe it'll be a category, maybe it'll be a dollar amount or specific industries, if it's say insurance fraud or something like that. But at the end of the day, I would like to see, you know, regulators, investigators, and consumers and investors ultimately be able to track all kind of fraudulent activity. It's not that, uh, I mean, is it really that hard to create a database that says financial fraud of all kind and then put categories within there? Right. So if you're looking or if you're about to do business with somebody or if the person's name pops up in the database, you know, oh, red flag, you know, run for the hills or investigate, you know, much further. And to me, one database that's sort of all encompassing would be easier to market and to show and explain to consumers. You have a question about somebody you want to track and know what's happening in a given uh area here. This is where you go and look and find out. We do this show live in front of a Facebook audience and uh, we got a, we got a chatty group hanging out with us today. Sandy's <laughs> okay. here says great t- today. Sandy Smith from yes, I am cheap. Uh, Gregory asks a good question. He says the SEC and FINRA broker checks aren't enough. What's interesting is Gregory on stacking Benjamins, my co-host OG and I did a, uh, 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 did an article recently about a group who is, uh, is not at all happy with what's going on at FINRA. Cause I don't know if you know this, Lynette, but it but if you look at broker checks expungement records lately, it's mm-hmm. becoming easier and easier and easier for these repeat offender brokers to get the broker check records expunged. Totally um, ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so and, I, and, and even before I did not know that. So that's good to to know, and I'll share it with my audience as well because I I do refer people there to, when they want to check out a broker. So uh, OG and I, Lynette, just did this story that shows that with FINRA's record, the FINRA broker check, where we send people all the time, it turns out that having your record expunged by these continual bad actors has become very, very easy. And these watchdog groups are after FINRA to clean that up. I mean, I don't think I, I don't know that a database is any good if 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 we can't make sure that we get the bad guys. Yeah. And that's disgusting, honestly, that it's so easy for them to get their uh, record of negative behavior um, and clear wrongdoing and abuses expunged. Um, and the problem doesn't just happen on the back end where this type of activity is going on. I've also heard of some uh, unscrupulous brokers who do things like when they give a prospective client or an investor their ADV form, which is the form that they're supposed to supply to disclose Um, any history of complaints or abuses or fines and things of that nature, Um, certainly if they've been suspended or anything like that from the industry, they're supposed to give ADV form part one and part two, but some of them will only give the first part (laughs) or a section of because they're trying to make sure that they don't disclose the bad misconduct that they've been, um, you know, taking a task for. So, you know, as, as a investor, yeah, you have to like check and double check and do everything in your power. And I do agree that we have a lot of areas to clean up and, you know, is the database in and of itself going to be the foolproof tool? No, it's not. 
Um, but I do think as a as a first line of defense or even just a line of defense, hopefully having a robust database of financial fraud will help people to know or even make a no-go decision and say, if I see this person in this database, I just don't want to do business with them at all. Yeah. It, it, it's it's really frustrating that it's so difficult to find that. I mean, to, to this piece's point, it's difficult to find the information about who the people are that you really want to stay away from. It, it, it really is. I mean, how many times, even with broker check, how many times do you find yourself telling people about that over and over and over and over and nobody's heard of it? I know it's, it's incredible. And, you know, for regulators and for watchdog groups and, you know, prosecutors who would actually try to um, make sure that these people don't keep repeating this. Imagine that you're, you know, working in an office in Denver and then there's something that's happened in Miami. And the only reason that you knew about it is because, OK, it happened to make the local news and then it got picked up on national news. That definitely shouldn't be the case. I mean, they should be able to have speedy, easy access. Um, they should have that information at their fingertips. And so a database like this would definitely help, I think, on the prosecutorial front as well, yeah. to make sure those bad actors don't um, slip under the radar. And and But then, of course, there's always the other side of the argument, which is, you know, if it's too fast, then you don't have due process and somebody could have a, you could have an agenda against me because my internet keeps going out and I'm keeping you here for a long time. <laughs> so then you put me on that database. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but that's why I think that you have standards for what is included in the database itself. It doesn't have to just be complaints. Right. We're talking about like convictions, fines. Right. Um, you they've, know, they've criminal. already been through due process. Correct. Yeah. So we, we've kind of made it past that benchmark already, presumably. Yeah. In just a second, Lynette and I both are going to have our takeaways from today's story. But while she gets her thoughts together, we will tell you just a little bit about Rocket Dollar. Talk about your IRA or your solo 401k plan here at the end of the year. What do you do when you want to invest in something different than those usual suspects that you can get in most brokerage accounts like real estate, private companies, peer-to-peer lending, crowdfunding, and anything else? allowed by the IRS, you get Rocket Dollar. Making investments is easy. Simply write a check out of your Rocket Dollar account. Never wait for a custodian to mail a check on your behalf. Really, that's simple. And best of all, you keep all the tax protections of your existing IRA or your 401k. When you open a Rocket Dollar, you can take advantage of a world of investment opportunities. You'll get all of it for $15 a month after a one-time $360 setup fee. And if you've never tried to, buy real estate or a closely held company, or let's say take your Acre Trader account and put it in your IRA as an example. Uh, people know how much I like Acre Trader as well. All that stuff, uh, usually the amount of money companies charge you to do that, there's a comma in it. It is significantly more expensive than that. So for Money with Friends listeners though, our friends at Rocket Dollar are offering 100 bucks off your setup fee by using Money with Friends when setting up your account at rocketdollar.com. And actually, if you go to Money Dollar, Money Dollar, if you go to rocketdollar.com forward slash MWF, you'll, uh, it'll walk you right through it. So no, uh, no, no, um, having to remember any of that stuff. Cause I don't need to remember anything, Lynette. I don't want to remember anything. Yeah, we all have way too much to remember as it is. <laughs> it's way, way too much. I can't remember what day it is. Uh, but I can remember my takeaway, but we'll go ladies first. What's yours? So my takeaway for this is about advocacy and about empowering yourself as a consumer or investor. 
So this is a proposal, right? This um, uh, group, SIGTARP, says we should have this. It's not written in stone. They launched their own database. But as with everything in America, um, your voice counts, your vote counts, your dollars count, your advocacy counts. So I think that if somebody is out there listening to us and watching and whatnot, and they think, hey, yeah, we should have a national database for financial fraud to make sure we don't all get swindled up the wazoo and don't know, you know, who are the bad actors out there. Maybe you should write somebody, you know, um, write your local official, your uh, member of Congress, your elected representatives who are supposed to voice your concerns in Washington and let them know that we do want something at the federal level. So we can't be passive observers and say, oh, I hope that comes about. You know, my takeaway is let's make it happen, guys. Let's make a push for this because we know that this will ultimately be in our best interest and help protect our wallets. It's, it's funny because uh, I've always been one of those people that think, oh, you know, if I call a congressperson or I whatever, I'm just one person. But if you look at, uh, um, uh, I think it was 99% Visible, the, the, the podcast, 99% Visible, told the story of the Rock the Vote campaign. Remember the Rock the Vote campaign in the 90s? Absolutely. And, and it was funny because not only did they changed the way America looked at elections at that time and registered a ton of people to vote, but they senators and Congress people got so many more responses than they'd ever had. And then I was surprised to hear that in most congressional offices, they'll get maybe four call. If they get four calls on an issue, they That's think it's a lot. a lot. Yeah, correct. And it's, it's totally true. Again, out here in Texas where, you know, I moved in 2019, um, I actually did write a local congressperson um, regarding HBCU funding um, and STEM funding for these historically black colleges and universities. I was surprised. I, they replied. They gave us answers. And actually, uh, you know, the, the legislation that m- myself and others were hoping to get passed, they did actually confirm the funding for them. And it, it went through. So I felt like, oh, great. You know, this is like civic, you know, democracy and work. And my participation helped um, to, you know, help these kids to get the, the funding that they're going to need to be able to um, continue on their, their um, higher ed efforts, et cetera. Mm. So just in general, I, I do think we take for granted and we think like, oh, they're not going to listen to me. But but you're absolutely right. Every voice matters and every uh, voice counts. And so I just want to remind us, you know, not in the political realm, but just in terms of advocating for ourselves as consumers, that we really can make a difference. I absolutely love that. And I don't think I have anything to add that's any better. <laughs> I think I, I think drop the mic, Lynette. That's ah, there we go. That's gonna do it. Tell everybody what's going on at Ask the Money Coach, because you've got great stuff coming up uh, here in 2020. That's right. So, you know, I'm super passionate about college. I've got two, you know, college age kids and one college bound one as well. So I wrote this book series called College Secrets, basically to teach families how to um, be able to navigate higher education costs and not have student loan debt. So in 2020, um, you'll see a lot more content from me on askthemoneycoach.com about paying for college and avoiding loans and also a lot more video content and courses around that very topic as well. Just be me on, on video teaching people, you know, what to do about tuition, fees, room and board, books and supplies, 
um, and all the what I call the hidden costs of college, because there's a ton of um, back end costs that really don't get disclosed until, you know, your kid is already in school. Where were you when my kids went through college? <laughs> That's where all my hair went. I don't know if you yeah, know that. Yeah, I, I, I know. And it's and nobody teaches you this stuff until you get to it and you're like, oh, you know what? Oh, my kid wants to join a sorority or fraternity. Who knew that that's like a thousand to five thousand dollars a year? It's crazy. So just stuff that, again, the the average parent wouldn't know. Certainly, most students don't know either. But um, needless to say, it adds up. Why do you think we have one and a half trillion dollars in student loan debt and and forty million Americans owe college loans? So it's it's a big. You know, it's a big challenge for a lot of people. It is a big challenge. Well, thanks for hanging out with us again and chatting about money. Sorry, it's about fraud and yesterday about airplanes and crashes. Not <laughs> we need to we need to talk about something happier next time. <laughs> Some pleasant topics. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And for more for all of Lynette's links, head to uh moneywithfriendspodcast.com. If you're walking your dog or you're on your commute. Thanks to everybody who hung out with us today, whether you're listening to the audio or watching the video of today's fractured podcast recording session. This one we made it through it. I can't believe it. On behalf of on behalf of Lynette, I'm Joe. We'll see you next time back here at Money with Friends. Bye bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC. Copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show, and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.